0: I love that song, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, because at our house when, you know, sons and daughters aren't obeying dad, that's not a very happy thing, right? I'm looking at my kids, they're all like, nope, it's not a happy thing. Well, we want, we want, happy, we want joy, we want happiness, we want health. We want all those things, and so today we get to talk about a topic that nobody likes to talk about, discipline. Are you ready? <laughs> all right, so one of the one of the neat books, we have it in the library, I have like five or six copies of this. Uh, this is an amazing book that walks through scripture. It's not somebody's opinion or idea, but it's called Peacemakers by Ken Sandy, and I know uh, Pastor Dave talked about him a lot and you probably have heard th- about this but I encourage you we have to be ready because the evil one is going to ensnare us because he doesn't want us to be happy he wants us to be mad at each other he wants us to not like each other as that's not a productive church that's not a healthy church and so uh, but God gives us lots of tools in the scripture on how to enjoy fellowship with a bunch of imperfect people, isn't that great? And uh, the Bible shares with that. But we gotta trust Him, and uh, that is a key. Is, is do you really trust what God says? Because when you do, we obey, and it helps us to obey when we trust. And which is interesting, in Hebrews chapter twelve, directly follows something. The faith chapter. It's not a it's not like just a coincidence that God talks about discipline right after the faith chapter. All of those amazing men of God who had great faith to do what God asked, they had they went through, a lot of them went through discipline. But they had faith, they had trust in the living God. And that and so it's interesting that we talk about discipline it takes great faith so that's a great book just a little caveat Uh, you can come up and take it or grab one out of my office or the library Um, and or you can go to the website and you can actually read the majority off of their website that book and uh, they want to get god's information into all of our hands so what makes a church healthy i hope that's been on your mind um, because a lot of times it's a lot of those things we want to ignore. And it's amazing, because we see all the problems in the world, right? And a lot of times we have these memes, and if you're like me, you're like, what is a meme? I just figured that out this last year. But uh, a meme is one of those pictures that they take, and they post on social media, and they make fun of it, right? And they, they write something funny on it. and uh, But there's a lot of people on, if you read... read the news still or you look at the news on the internet um, and we see a lot of the problems in the world and more times than not you'll see people say if we just had more discipline in schools at home everything would be a lot better it's amazing how many times I have seen that but what's amazing is how many times We run from it. Think about it. People have asked me when I was a youth pastor, when I was making that transition from being, uh, I was hired as an associate, but I primarily worked with college and high school students and junior high students. And I'll tell you a secret, junior high was my favorite. And uh, (laughs) because they were just real. They didn't hide anything, emotions and all. They just let it all out. And so it was a blast. They always ask me, they say, well, pastor, what's the difference between working with youth and working with adults? And I said, really, there is no difference. Except that the adults have learned to hide from discipline or hide from dealing with sin better. They're better hiders. That's the only difference. And it's amazing, but I want you to think about something. How many times do we really enjoy talking about Discipline and right now, everybody's like, Oh man, how long is he going to go on this subject? Uh, hopefully, not too long because my wife will kill me because we got to get pictures and all these things to get in the car and take Kaylee to school. But here's the thing I don't want us to undervalue one of the greatest things that God has given us to grow and to enjoy our life. I mean that that's that hymn that we sung trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. They're not just singing a little fancy jingle. It's true. If we want to enjoy our relationships in church, we need to have discipline. We can't hide it. We can't sweep things under the rug. We can't ignore it. It just creates bigger problems. We need to have discipline. Uh, A philosopher once said, discipline is the bridge between goals and accomplishments. One of the best ways that God grows the church is through discipline. You're like, that just doesn't seem quite right, Pastor. Well, let me explain. There are two kinds of discipline that we see in Scripture and we see in life. Let me read this verse, and then we'll get to what they are. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. If you've been in Awana, you know this verse. Maybe maybe you don't recognize verse 17. But here's the crux of the passage. All Scripture. Did you hear that? All Scripture. That's easy to understand. All means what? All, and that's all that all can mean, right? Even in Greek, all means all. It doesn't mean anything else. In Hebrew, guess what? It means all. All. So, just part of Scripture? Ah, no. All of Scripture. That's why this morning we read this idea about discipline is important. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. All Scripture is what? It's profitable. Uh, Pastor, are you sure that this passage on discipline is profitable? Yes. It is vital. All Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness you know that word training is where we get the word discipline that's interesting think about that that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work so all scripture is profitable because it equips us for what some good work all good work does that sound important And it has to do with our training, our correction, our reproof. It makes us better. And in that passage, we see two types of correction or two types of discipline. We have what we call formative discipline. So in your notes, there's formative discipline. Now, formative discipline is easy to understand. It's really common in the church. In fact, it should be happening all the time for every church member. It's simply helping one another grow and mature in Christ through positive instruction and teaching. So as we teach and as we instruct and we're forming... More mature believers are growing them in the Lord. That's formative, formation. So we have discipline that's formative, and then we have discipline that is corrective. And that's kind of what we're going to spend most of our time talking about today, is that corrective... God wants us to have discipline, to be disciplined, because he doesn't want us to keep going down life and walking in sin or or going down life and being in trouble. He doesn't want us to live life in trouble. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound happy, does it? I don't know about you, I don't want to live life miserable all the time because I'm in trouble all the time. You know, sometimes... We don't even know that we're getting ourselves into trouble until you've, you know, like fallen off the side of the, of the road. You know, I've tripped into the road before. It's not a very pretty thing. I've also run into the, you know, the the, the state fair sign. I mean, you've done that as a as a ten-year-old boy. I'm first time at the state fair. I'm looking at everything but what, where I'm going, and I ran into the sign when I was in high school. You notice I'm kind of a klutz. In high school, uh, I was throwing snowballs at my buddies and laughing at them and teasing them because I couldn't run in the snow. And I grew up in Alaska, and you know, and I was great. And here I am running and they're all pointing at me and I'm like, ha, ha, ha. And I turn and I hit that, you know, that sign says pets this way. And I broke the sign and it broke my head and I passed out. So, you know, so... <laughs> correction is a good thing and if we listen to correction we avoid a lot of pitfalls the problem is is because of sinful we like ourselves we don't want to feel like we're bad and we want to feel better and sometimes we avoid correction we avoid discipline and that's not necessarily a good thing because that leads to a lot of problems Mark Dever wrote a church called The Deliberate... Wrote a church. Wrote a book about church and it's called The Deliberate Church and in it he said this. If we were to compare discipline in the body of Christ to discipline in the physical body, then formative discipline would be like eating right and exercising, whereas corrective discipline would be like surgery (laughs) to correct something that we did. Right? And so... It's God's way of surgically fixing problems in our life. You ignore things long enough and it can kill you. So the first thing we want to look at this morning is is the benefit of corrective discipline. Right? It shouldn't be hard to realize that having surgery on a very life-threatening issue is very productive. The problem is, is we don't look at discipline that way. We look at it as a bad thing. Oh, it's horrible. We want to avoid it. We don't want to step on people's toes, and that's right. We don't want to step on people's toes. We want to pick people up. We want to discipline each other. We want to encourage one another by picking each other up, so that way we don't fall, so we can walk, and so we can get to where God wants us to be. And there's a benefit to that, and. So we're going to quickly go through this. And the first one is, is corrective discipline is for the good of the person being disciplined. It's not only good for the person being disciplined, but it's the good for other Christians. You know, if, if other people are getting their sin and their problems fixed, and their life, and they're growing, and they're surgically getting all that problems in their life removed... It affects the other believers around you. Because here, let me tell you something. All sin affects everybody. Guess what? When I sin, it doesn't just affect me. It affects my family. It affects my church family. It affects the community. It doesn't, sin doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody. And first and foremost, it's sin against God. It's not, by the way, a lot of times we say, oh, you know, he sinned against me. No, he sinned against God. It may affect you. I'm not saying it doesn't affect you. Oh, yes, it does. It affects us. That's why sin is so horrific. And that's why discipline is so good. Because it seeks to help one another to get out of that. So that way it doesn't affect the body. It creates health in the body. It's for the good of other Christians. It's for the good of the whole church. And ultimately, it's for God's glory. So that way we maximize how glorious God is and and minimize our sin. We're trying to get rid of the sin so we can maximize how great God is. Here's the real benefit of corrective discipline. See the cross over there? Sometimes we live life and the cross is so small compared to our circumstances, rather than the cross eclipsing all of our circumstances. You say, well, pastor, how do you do that? You have to magnify God's holiness and who He is, and we got to get rid of or minimize or get rid of as much sin as we can. And in that process, it grows the cross, and it creates this amazingly healthy entity that we call church that can handle problems it can handle the circumstances it can handle the problems in the world we can offer solutions to our society we can offer solutions to our friends we can be there to pick up not just the church but we can be there to pick up one another in ferndale in seattle in because well, there's a lot of help that's needed in bellingham and seattle and so on right so, you know sin kind of gravitates towards each other you know, if, if you don't believe that, then just look around the room. We're here, right? We're a club of sinners. This corrective discipline is so important. So what if someone sins personally, right, and it affects you? What if someone else's sin has affected you? What if it hurts me? What, what am I supposed to do? What, how, why, you know, what does the Bible say about that? We'll turn to Matthew chapter 18 like, oh yeah, we've heard this before, but here's the thing. Do you trust what God is saying? And are you using it wisely according to God's design or are you using it according to your emotions? Because that will depend on whether discipline happens or whether arguments ensue. So listen. What if someone, someone else's sin personally affects you. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Underline go and show. Those, by the way, are your fill Go and show his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. You've restored the relationship. Verse 16, But if you will not listen, take one or two others along so... So now there's two of you or three of you. Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established. There may be a witness of the facts. Right? So every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If we refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. Don't keep it in. Don't sweep it under the rug. Make it public, it says. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, by the way, he's talking about the assembly of the body that's what church means so he doesn't mean when you come to this building he says when you get together all of us like this if he refuses to deal with the sin tell it to the church tell it to everyone and even if he does not and then it's our job as a church to love him and it says if he refuses to listen even to the church so there's a telling the church and then there's supposed to be a listening. So that means that everybody in the church should talk to the brother and encourage him to deal with the sin. Do you get that? Don't underestimate the value of the listen there, tell and listen to the church. And then if he doesn't, if he refuses, it, if I forget, it, I don't even, I'm not going to deal with it. I don't care. Then treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector, not as a brother in Christ, but treat him as an unbeliever. So what if someone's sins personally affects you? Step one, go and show your brother his fault. Hey, God doesn't want us to be mad at each other. So if, you, if there's a sin that you see uh, and it and affects you and, and, and it bothers you, then go and say to your brother, hey, uh, this bothers me. That's what it's telling us. Go and show it to him. Explain to him. Man, when people have come to me, half the time when people have approached me and said, you know, pastor, that kind of bothered me. And I was like, whoa, what did I say that bothered you? And they explained to me. And I was like, wow. Because it didn't even know. That was not my intention. And I'm like, I am so sorry because that's the way it came across. And, I, and all of a sudden, I get a hug and, and we love on each other and I apologize because I didn't intend for anything wrong, but it doesn't matter. It, sometimes miscommunication happens. Sometimes misaction happens. We don't fall through on something, and it affects other people. And we can love on one another. Here's the key. You know what? Why this doesn't work, and why people don't do it, is because we don't prepare our hearts. We just say, "I'm hurt. I'm mad. I don't like it, and I'm going to let them know." And guess what happens? Argument ensues. The key to success is here. Is this? Is that? We prepare our hearts. Galatians chapter 1. Brother, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him. In a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted or fall into sin. Fall into pride. We prepare our hearts. Are you saying, hey, how can I win my brother back? How can I love him? How can I encourage him? How can I make him better? Because if I'm looking at that and I'm preparing my heart and I'm praying and asking God... When I go and approach him, I'm not going to be spewing all this hatred on him. I'm not going to be spitting on him because I'm yelling at him. Right? When we go and we say, I have a fault with you, why are you going? This is the key. We go with the wrong heart. We go to get something rather than to go and show something. When we apply God's love that he demonstrated towards us that while we were yet sinners, When Christ died for us, when we apply that same love to this situation and we go to them to share with them what the fault is, and we prepare our hearts so we have the same love of God, we we can win a brother back. I like what Matthew 7 5 says. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother. There's an idea of closeness. That if you have hatred or problems or anger, there's a level of closeness there. And we can't even see truly how to encourage or help our, our brother who is in sin or who, is, who has caused you to be upset about something. By the way, we, we, we choose to be upset. It doesn't. People don't always cause us to be upset. When we see sin, we are upset. We need to examine our heart we need to examine our heart and by the way we need to realize that reconciliation is our responsibility sometimes when it comes to discipline or it comes to church life we like well that person sinned them against me and I'm not gonna do anything until they come and say something right and, and then guess what? I got this big chip on my shoulder, and I'm not going to talk to anybody that likes that person. And it just goes on and on and on. We begin, and we alienate ourselves from the body of Christ. We get a chip on our shoulder. That is not the love of Christ. That is not what God says here. We need to trust what God says and say, you know what, I'm going to do it. It It's uh, going to be hard when I approach this person. I'm not sure how they're going to respond, but God says to do it and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to to help me to love that person the way he loved me when he died on the cross for me. And by the way, if you think about the gospel and what God did for you, I can't help but trust that it's going to change my heart when I approach another sinning brother and I'm going to be able to look at them differently because I'm going to be looking at them through the gospel through the cross instead of my offense and that's the idea is is are we taking our command to go and deal with it by the way if Say, reconcile is our responsibility, Matthew 5.23. It even says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, you remember that somebody else is mad at you? It says, leave your gift in front of the altar. Stop worshiping God and go deal with it, it says. Go be reconciled to your brother. It's our responsibility. Step two. Take one or two others among you. Here's the keys to that. So are we taking people along? Let me just ask you a a question. Are we taking people along so that way we can beat up on, gang up on the guy? You're like, you see, you're wrong because I have more people on my side than you do on your side. Well, isn't that what we do? Do you think that's what God is saying here in, in, in Matthew? Uh, did, you, did you realize when we read did it it said that it says so we can assess all of the issues? The wording in there is very specific. When two or three are there, there's been times when I have witnessed somebody that has had a, a beef against somebody else and when that other person and they level the stuff against them and I've gone to there to be a support and to listen and, and it's amazing what the other person didn't hear because they were just worried about the other person not liking them. People refuse sometimes, when, and when there's confrontation of sin, we refuse to listen, because we don't like what we're hearing. So as a third party, we can come along and say, wait a minute, that's not what the person said, this is what he said. And we can say it in a different way. And we can be an arbitrator. We can come in and we can encourage one another. We can can support the one that's been offended and we can support the one that's, that's being confronted. When that kind of discipline is happening in the church, everybody wins. Everyone wins. Especially the body of Christ. God is glorified. When you're confronting your brother, you need to ask this thing. Consider... Is this a matter of opinion or perspective? Is it your perspective on the, on the situation or is it an opinion? Think about it. Are opinions always truth? Or are our opinions sometimes based on the way we feel? And our feelings always truth? So sometimes when we have a problem with somebody, we need to ask this question. And we need to ask the people that will go with us. Hey, I need you to come along with me. And as I and, and, and last time I talked to this brother, it didn't go very well. And I'm not sure if I'm dealing with this correctly. And I'm not sure if it's just my opinion or if this is really a sin issue. Would you come with me and let's deal with it? This is a key to this. This is how this works. Also, guys, if you know somebody else has a problem with this person, should you take that person with you? Look at the second one. <laughs> Bring people you know who are trustworthy, who are wise, who aren't just going to gang up on this guy or this gal, right? Bring along that's trying that's going to be impartial, that's going to help, that's going to listen, that's going to care, that's going to lift people up. And, and be careful that you don't sit there and spew a lot of slander by the way, do you know what the Bible calls people that if you try to get somebody to your side so that they feel better about you than the other person, the Bible calls that slander. You say, you know what, I'm really struggling with this issue. Would you come along with me to help? That's all you need to do. You don't need to sit there and say, yeah, this person is bad. This person is horrible. They're doing all these things. You don't need to sit there. You can let their actions and their words speak for themselves in the situation. So how does church discipline amongst us, each other work? When, we, when That's the key right there. Do not lobby for your position. If that's what we're doing, we're taking away from Christ. It's all about me. And if it's all about me, then guess where Christ is? He's back in the background. The third thing is go tell it to the church if he doesn't listen to one doesn't listen to the the group of people and by the way the group of people can be elders in the church could be leaders in the church doesn't have to be but it, you know and that's a wise thing take somebody that you know is going to be impartial wise that's going to follow scripture and that's not going to just give in to, to gossip or slander um, and but the idea is do you ever wonder why does god say just make it public to the church Let me ask you a question. Does every single one of you think the same? Man, if everybody thought like Rosa, we'd be in trouble. We'd all be drinking 20 cups of coffee a day and just running like crazy. (laughs) For me, that would be a bad thing, but (laughs) so no, if we all thought the same, that would be miserable. Here's the thing tell it to the church. Because we will all love this person in a different way. We can all sacrifice for this person in a different way. We can understand this person in a different way. We all have different gifts and abilities that we can help this person in a different way. That's the point of telling it to the church. The church is more successful when we are all together. It is not to gang up on somebody. It's for us to be able to love that person back into a good relationship with Christ and the body, all of us, together, functioning. Tell it to the church. It's important. Tell it, and you notice he says, uh, tell it to the church and then that he might listen to the church. That means once it's been told to you, it's your responsibility to encourage that brother in Christ. To you who are spiritual, come alongside and lift him up. You see why church discipline is so important? It's not something to take lightly. It's not something that, and it's something that we should not just be like, oh man, here we go again. It should be something excited that we should look forward to so we can glorify God together and make much of Christ. What if you see, if, what if you just see somebody, and then we have got to run here because I want the last one's very important. So the, uh, what if you see, if you just notice that there, you know of somebody that's sinning? If you know that somebody's sinning, should you just ignore it? Or should you go talk to him? Yes, go talk to them. Do you love them? <laughs> if, if, if you're walking towards a cliff and you can't see it, won't you want somebody to come tell you? Oh, I am so thankful when somebody sticks out their arm and say, whoa, watch out. It happens more than it should. <laughs> right? I don't say, oh, how dare you stop me? Right? right off the cliff how many times do we see that in church a lot because we don't hear all the positive things about church discipline we don't hear about how great christ is how christ is because he loves us as a father he's not going to ignore us because he doesn't want us to constantly be tripping and falling and breaking ourselves and hurting others in the process but here are some good questions to ask you know uh, first, is the sin uh, bringing public dishonor to God? If it yes, then go deal with it. Second, is it hurting others? Then go deal with it. Uh, could the sin, you know, it could it bring discord and disunity to the body? Is it going to separate the church? Then, yeah, go deal with it. And finally, is it, is it serious enough that it's going to hurt the person who's going to sin? Is he really going to walk off the cliff or jump off a bridge? And then go deal with it. Yes. If there's an answer is yes to any of those, then you probably should go talk to them. Not because you're being critical, you know, because you're wanting to help. But here's the last one, and I want you to understand this above all things. What if a leader sins? It shouldn't be what if a leader sins, it's like when a leader sins, right? What do you do when a leader does sin? I don't know about you, but there are no perfect people in here, right? That includes me, far from perfect. So what do you do if a leader sin? Uh, we just ignore it, right? Uh, just ignore it, you know, buy me something, make me feel good, buy my wife some flowers, you know, uh, bring me some food. No, no. Hey, I want you to understand something. First Timothy, First Timothy deals with this, and there's a lot of wisdom here. And I don't want you to miss this. Listen to this passage in, in First Timothy uh, 5, 19 through 20. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. So they know that this is serious. That we don't just let our leaders get away with sin. Why? Because it is important to God for a church to be healthy and to represent God, and not that leader who is going in sin. But here's something that I want you to understand. Why is this so important? You should underline this in your Bible. Do not, it says, admit a charge against an elder. Here, let me give you the exact translation of these words, of admit a charge. In the Greek, it literally means this, to accept something as true. Hmm. So... It literally says this, Do not accept something as true against another elder, except based on the evidence of two or three others, witnesses, for, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke him in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. That changed things a little bit, doesn't it? I want you to understand, there is some huge... What do we do? If we think a leader is in sin, what do we do? We go around and talk about it. Oh, it must be true. So- and so said, I saw him do this. Or did you hear what the pastor said, or did you hear what the elders said? It's got to be true, because somebody said it, right? Let me tell you something. As pastors, as elders, um, whether uh, deacons too, there are times when we have to go deal with discipline issues, right? Let me ask you a question. Does everybody like to be disciplined? Oh, it'd be great if everybody did, wouldn't it? Nobody does. And here, if, if, if I go and discipline somebody and they don't like it, what do you think they're going to say? Oh, that was so wonderful. What are they going to say? Did you hear a Pastor did? He told me that what I was doing, he was so bad, he had a bad attitude, he should have never talked to me that way. I've had somebody do that before. Praise the Lord! It was somebody that was wise enough to say, "You know what? That's not who Pastor is." And you need let's go talk to him. So they took that person and brought him back, and that person was like, "Yeah, I figured as much. (laughs) You're you're fighting against Pastor's wisdom from Scripture. He was trying to show you something from Scripture. That's happened to me. That's happened to a lot of my friends." And maybe it's happened to you even in the ministry. You don't have to be an elder to experience that. Here's the point. Paul is saying, look, just because you hear something does not mean it's always true because pastors put themselves in the line of fire all the time. If if you'll learn quickly, I like to run towards the fire. You know, My wife's usually trying to hold me back a little bit, (laughs) but I like to run towards the fire. So if there's a problem in the church, I like to run towards it. Partially because I want to protect the church. I want to protect God's image. I want to protect you. I want people to love the church. I love the church. This is God's bride. I love you, and so I'm going to run towards it. So here's the thing. I'm going to put myself in some sticky situations. You're going to have to decide. You're going to say, well, is that true or not? So what does God say? Here's a good rule of thumb. When you, when you hear about some sin of an elder or a pastor and you say, you know what? I'm not going to accept that as true until I go spend time with the pastor. That is the best rule of thumb. That's the key. The key is don't accept something as true. But here's the thing. If it is true, go deal with it. Same same thing, except here's the thing. Just, it, sometimes it's a little intimidating to go to talk to the pastor who's been preaching at you all the time, right? It can be a little intimidating. Oh, he's the pastor. Bring somebody with you. Again, same rules apply. Bring somebody that's wise, that's not going to just be on your side, that's going to be able to listen. Maybe somebody that's even heard the same thing, uh, you know, has the same witness account, and then go talk to him. Go talk to me. Come, take me aside, and love on me. You want me to be a better pastor? Hold me accountable. You want the church to grow? Hold me accountable. Right? We need to love each other. We need to hold each other accountable. And and us as elders and myself is not that we're all included in that. Here's the thing: protect. If you hear something that bad about the others, and that's, that is far too common in churches. we are just like, well, I don't like the church. It's not doing what I want, so I'm just going to talk bad about the pastor and elders, leaders, whoever they are. Don't let it happen. It won't help the leaders, and it won't help you. It'll destroy the church. Everything you think you're going to get, you will never get. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in jesus but to trust and obey here's three things i want you to think about remember we as a church represent christ we don't represent you we don't represent pastor we don't represent elder we don't represent my favorite friend in church we don't represent my favorite music in church we don't represent anything but christ why is discipline great because we're representing christ and we're letting him grow us we're letting Him help us. We're letting Christ be accountable and, and hold us accountable and getting rid of our sins so we see more of Christ. You ever wonder how, how why churches don't grow? Because a lot of times we don't represent Christ. We are His bride. Do you think God wants His bride to be stained with a bunch of black spots? No. He doesn't. That's why he's perfecting us. Remember, it is for our good. Guys, discipline is not a naughty, horrific word that we're like, ah. It's something to be embraced. It's for our benefit. I can't stress this enough. Hebrews chapter 12, in which we read two things. If God isn't disciplining you, then you need to ask yourself, am I really a son and daughter of the Lord? And, le- and, and here's the thing. It's like no one, guys, no one, none of us, including me, I don't like it when people come up and say, I have this against you, right? My first reaction is like, oh, yay. <laughs> no, it's like, oh, man. <laughs> it's like, what did I do? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's like usually I say I'm sorry right away even though I... I don't even know what it is. I'm like, "Oh, cuz I know how hard it must be for you to come." It is. And I'm sad. And I don't like it. And it's like, "Oh, okay, let's let's hear it. What's the problem?" Right? No one at first it's not good at first. Now, no discipline seems to be joyful at the present it says in verse 11, right? But look at this Nevertheless, after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When we've been trained by discipline, we receive that peaceable fruit of God's righteousness. I don't know about you, but I like peace, don't you? Guess what happens when we avoid discipline in the church? No peace, no power. From God. When we embrace discipline, it is miserable in the beginning, but it, it yields peace and fruit of God's righteousness. It unleashes His power, right? Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. That's the real kicker. If we want a healthy church, are you going to trust? that what God has told us as we read these verses, that it is true and I must do it. Must do it. (laughs) Right? Do you trust it? Because if you trust it and you obey it and you do it, it says he'll produce a peace. Peace and his righteousness. Right? We'll have a peaceful church. Doesn't that sound weird though? Because that's counterculture. Discipline doesn't usually mean peace. But it does. It produces peace in the church. Lord, I thank you for our time in your word. And I pray that, Lord, we would all feel the the gravity of this situation. That we must never run from discipline. And, Lord, that even though we don't like it in the time that it's happening, that we can trust you, that you will provide us with the fruit of peace and joy and happiness that comes after the discipline. Lord, may we, may we trust you and not trust what the world says, that we should just run from it, that we should just do whatever feels good to us at the time. It feels good to just tell people off. and Lord, it's just too easy to be emotional and just run from things and never deal with stuff. Lord, I pray that we would not trust the world over you lord may we trust you may we love you more than we love the world may we love you more than we love ourselves lord maybe there's someone here that's been loving themselves and and they know it and they say you know what i just love myself more than god and they've never they don't even have a relationship with you they said you know i I know i don't have forgiveness for my sins i know i'm not going to heaven i've never repented i've never never confessed my sin to god and say lord i I need your forgiveness lord they've never received the the good news that you have paid for all their ugliness in their life no matter what it is you've paid for it you died for their sin you to to separate them from your wrath god that one day we are going to stand before you and if we do not, if we have not been saved, if, Lord, if our name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, your wrath will be poured out on our life and we will be in hell for the rest of eternity. But Lord, we can know that we have you. We can call upon your name and be saved. We can call out to you. Lord, you died on the cross to pay for our sins, to remove us from your wrath. That is amazing news. Lord, I pray that we lay aside our life and accept your life that was given to us on the cross. Turn to you and give up everything and say, Lord, here am I. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I pray that if someone here has never done that, that they would do that right now. That they would call out to you as we pray, as we sing. And Lord, that they would just give their life to you. And that they would know from this day forward, that they are saved, that you save them. Lord, call them. I pl- Lord, plead with their heart right now. Spirit, just your Holy Spirit, just convict them. Lord, if if there's a lot of us here that, Lord, could be, been running from discipline for a long time and, and we don't like it, and Lord, may we just confess to you that sin of, of, of not handling discipline correctly. And Lord, may we just get that right and get that, and get that out. And, and Lord, just and let you purify and bring peace back to ourselves and to our church that we might be a healthy church once again. Lord, whatever it is that we need to do, Lord, I pray that we would do it from our heart to you as we worship you through our singing and as we close today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.